With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. It's that time of year. Seku Smith here in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann in New Jersey, the Hangtime Podcast. The 2018-2019 season right around the corner. So what better time than now to start with some previews? We're going to kick things off in the Western Conference, our Pacific Division preview, where the reigning two-time champion Golden State Warriors are restocked, reloaded, ready to go. Shoe, I guess... Any conversation about this NBA season has to start with the Warriors, does it not? Sure, I guess. Or unless you want to just believe that they're the maybe the least interesting team in the league, you could <laughs> you could go with that angle. If you want to just talk about what teams are most interesting or what teams have the biggest discrepancy between their best case scenario and worst case scenario, you could uh, start elsewhere. But if you want to talk about who could win the championship, you start with the discussion of uh, you know Warriors versus the Field or something to that effect like i said yeah start with the word i mean look if we're talking most interesting sure you could find other teams but if we're talking about prevailing wisdom and kind of what everybody assumes will be the case and we've done this the last five years for at least the last four years talking about the warriors being at the head of the class and i know joe lake took a lot of grief when he said that they were light years ahead of everybody else but if you look at what they've done, they've been light years ahead of everybody else. And then this summer, DeMarcus Cousins joins for basically a discounted price. Other than that, you don't have any huge additions. Jonas Cherebko, Damian Lee, these guys, you know, a draft pick and Jacob. I'm not going crazy about that. Boogie is the big addition for this season, you know, along with a core group that returns intact. I mean, we're talking about Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Draymond, Clay Thompson, all these guys in the primes of their careers. So from my mind, I don't know how we can't go into a season with the Warriors, not only is it the, the runaway favorite to win it again, but I don't know if who's close to them based on what they've done since we last saw these teams on the floor in the finals to close that gap on the Warriors. I think... Because that, to me, Celtics, that's their this, biggest, that's the biggest think, thing yeah, going that, for them. And then my answer to that question is the Boston Celtics. I think... We don't know how good that team is going to be. Sure. And it could be really, really good. And also have the ability to match up with Golden State to a certain degree. You know, I think if we're just talking Warriors. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, we, we, we talked about discussing sort of, you know, best case and worst case scenarios for every team. And for the Warriors, I think the best case scenario is they get that 16-0. and 0. You know, I think they're that good. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're at their best, they're the best offensive team in the league. And they're the best defensive team in the league. They went 15-0 and two years ago and then lost game four in Cleveland. I think 16-0 and is a possibility. 
um, in the postseason. Regular season is going to be mostly meaningless for them, except in in regard to a couple things. One, integrating Cousins when he gets back, right. and then two, their other bigs, their younger bigs on that roster. You know, um, you know they lose Pachulia. McGee and West. Right. Those guys played a lot of minutes in the regular season last year, not as much in the in the playoffs. But that means there's an opportunity, um, especially before Cousins comes back, for guys like Jordan Bell, uh, Kevon Looney, uh, even Damian Jones, who's you know the biggest of that trio. That's what I think we look at. You know, early in the season is is those three guys. Which one of those, or which one or two of those guys, sort of takes a step forward and and becomes a more reliable rotation piece and gives them some sort of more sort of versatility on their front line. Yeah, are we are we in agreement that the only thing that that gets in their way internally is injuries? I mean, and they've dealt with them obviously in each of the past couple of seasons. They've had a significant injury to one of their key players if not a couple of their key players, and they found a way to get over that, you know, and to get through that. But is there any – I mean, I can't imagine there's anything else. It's not like these guys are going to wake up and all of a sudden be sick of each other or their chemistry is going to go bad out of nowhere. This is basically a – if they stay healthy, they remain the standard bearer in, in the division in the league. And yeah, and I think we could do the – we could pose health as an X factor for every single team, and that's right. a given, right? So I don't even want to talk about that. I think the one is Iguodala is – you know, he's he turns 35 in January. He was able to turn it on in the playoffs last year, but not after dealing with an injury. So I think, you know, his ability to play at the same level, especially in the postseason, I don't think they're, they're going to worry about him too much in the regular season. He'll, his minutes will be down in the regular season. Yeah. Um, but he's still an important piece for them as, you know, their first wing off the bench and gives them sort of the the versatility that they that that has made them so good um, on both ends of the floor over these last four years. You know, he's still an important piece. And if his so if he's at, at 35, if he's not as good as he was at 34 and 33 and 32, well, that could be that could have an effect on them in the postseason. Moving on from from the Warriors in the Pacific Division, a team to me, Shu, that is going to look nothing like it did last year, really, or the last few years, given all the change they've had and endured. Um, the Los Angeles Clippers, 10th seed last year with a 42-40 and 40 record, having, you know, lost Chris Paul, you know, the summer before, Blake Griffin's gone. Now DeAndre Jordan is no longer there. I mean, you know, Austin Rivers gone. This just seems like no team has decided to institute more change on its own than this Clippers team since Chris Paul left. You got Marcin Gortat, Mike Scott, Luke Mbamute. You got some guys who are, are there now along with these young draft picks and uh, Shea Gilligas-Alexander, Jerome Robinson, your jumbo backcourt of the future, I guess, if you're the Clippers. But how do you how do you sort out what it is the Clippers are trying to do when you're building a team around Lou Williams, basically? I mean, he's the fantastic six man and a guy who's proven himself to be a capable leading scorer but that's not how you build a, a playoff team in this league yeah it's funny you know we they've changed so much and they've lost um their three core guys over the last um i guess year uh year and few months but i just see i i look at them and i see potential change coming down the line just because they have some of these vets on expiring contracts, you right. know, Tobias Harris, uh, Gortat, Wesley Johnson, Beverly on expiring contracts. Avery Bradley only has like a, a $2 million guarantee for the season after this one. 
Um, you know, they added Mbamute and Mike Scott, but both of those guys are just on one-year deals. Right. Um, so when I look at this team, I just see, you know, at best, maybe they can squeak. You know, they're in the conversation for the 7-8 seed, you know, stay in the, you know, 7-8-9-10 range. Mm-hmm. At worst, they get off to a slow start, and they start selling off some of these vets. And, you know, you talked about Lou Williams. I think he is, it's weird to think of him as an X-factor, but I think he is. <laughs> He's 32. He turns 32 in October, so he's not necessarily on a downswing of his career. But last season, he had a career high in minutes per game at 32.8 and a career career high in usage rate. So, yeah. I mean, that was and, and, and to play as well as he did, that was a fantastic season. So, like, they're still I think they're still relying on him to carry that offense a good amount. And so if you know, if he just, you know, doesn't necessarily have a terrible season, but if he's just not as good as he was last year, mm-hmm. things can go sort of sideways for this team pretty quickly. And then we see, all right, now do they start prioritizing the young guys and do they, you know, find a buyer for, for some one or more of their vets? Do you Are you building around Lou Williams, though? I mean, is that sale? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, long term, yeah. no. no. I mean, he's on a decent contract. So, right. I mean, you can – and. Come January, February, there will be teams that would love to have a Lou Williams on that contract um, if he's still as effective as last year or just nearly as effective as last year. So, you know, that could be they could that contract could be one to sell, not necessarily one to keep and and build around. If there's an X factor beyond a guy like Lou Williams for this team, is it one of the young guys, one of maybe? Gillick Alexander becomes a you know a breakout rookie kind of like what I don't I don't know if Donovan Mitchell's the right person to you know compare it to but maybe something like that where he has a breakout season after falling down a, a little bit in in the draft order. I guess I mean I, I I honestly don't know enough about him to know if he can if he's ready to play. You know what I mean? Like right. and to try to compare him to Don, Donovan. Don't even like. I think Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> we don't realize. I don't. I don't think we realize how special of a rookie Donovan Mitchell was. I mean, I was doing some stats work on him, and we we can talk about that uh, when we get to the Northwest preview. But that's. I don't. I think it's unfair to compare a rookie guard in this class to to him as far as making an impact early on. Yeah. But I think I guess if one of those rookies comes up, and I mean. Before he can make an impact, he's got to find a way to get some playing time uh, with Teodosic, Bradley, Beverly, and Lou Williams there in the backcourt already. So who knows in that regard? Yeah. Another team right down the hall from the Clippers is going to have all the eyeballs in the world watching them, of course. The Los Angeles Lakers, huge summer. You know, getting LeBron would have cast them in this light anyway. But then everything else they did, adding Michael Beasley and Rajon Rondo and Lance Stevenson and JaVale McGee. I know it's it's had people scratching their heads since it happened. And the strange thing about the Lakers is for all the, the energy and the attention and the hype, did you see, have you seen any footage at all this summer or over the summer of any of those guys together working out? In an era where players are always putting their workouts on Instagram or whatever, social media platform they use it it just dawned on me i've not seen lebron with those guys one time kind of getting their chemistry together and trying to figure out how they fit i've seen the rockets posing on the beach like baywatch um you know i've I've seen videos of every guy and their kids even working out but i've not seen this lakers bunch gathering as you know in the off season does that worry you at all that they haven't worked on that prior to training camp 
No, because I don't. We don't know what we don't know, right? Like we don't know what uh, they've been. They've been working out in secret and haven't been putting it on Instagram. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they put um, it on Snapchat do, and it disappeared. Yeah, but I do have like as like, I was writing notes as their X factor as is chemistry basically yeah. and the ability of the other guys to fit around LeBron. You know, we saw last year that it's not easy to come to play with LeBron the first time if you're something other than a, a catch and shoot guy. You yeah. know, like Rodney Hood had to take the qualifying offer this week uh, right. on his contract because he had such a, a rough time with Cleveland at the end of last year and didn't really fit well again uh, around LeBron. Jordan Clarkson the same to a, to a lesser degree. Mm-hmm. So. For me, it's about the ability for guys to fit around him, especially Brandon Ingram and Kuzma, I think, are the most important in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, like another, I just wrote this note, like I wrote a note, I was looking at their depth chart and their centers are JaVale McGee, Zubach, and and your your guy, uh, Mo Wagner. Mo Wagner. Get it right. How dare Wagner. you? How All dare right. you disrespect Mo Wagner's name like that? So prominently in my notes here are, is the question, LeBron at center? Like, are they going to play? <laughs> I mean, they have the ability because they have, you know, Ingram. Say you have a lineup with Ingram and Kuzma and LeBron and, you know, KCP or Josh Hart and Ball or Rondo, you know, in the mm. backcourt. I'm curious to see how much he actually plays center. And I think it's a definite possibility with this team. And I think, you know, with this team, the the difference between best case and, and worst case is pretty extreme. You know, I wrote best case scenario, fourth seed, you know, they win a round of the playoffs. Worst case scenario, they don't make the playoffs. Right. And I think it's, it's not, you know, it's not impossible for that to happen. Well, I'm confused, though, because... I mean, the center position has been de-emphasized anyway, right? When teams are playing small ball. JaVale started for the Warriors last year, didn't he? In the finals? I'm some, trying to he started some, some for them in the finals. Some is like, it's not like they don't have a serviceable guy. No, no, no I'm, not saying, I'm not saying it's an apt, but even when JaVale started, how many minutes did he play? You yeah, know, I mean, because everybody's, but no, I mean, that's, really. that's a matchup thing. You're going small, but his. I, I don't think he's going to be on the court for more than 20 minutes a game. Right. And then, and then how much, you know, how much are Zubats and Wagner playing? So, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, but Beasley could be another small ball center as yeah. well. So I, that's not, that's not impossible either. But right. I think if you want to put their five best players on the floor, LeBron's, LeBron's the center. Yeah, LeBron's a five. As crazy as it sounds, I could live with that if I'm the Lakers. Not, you know, not for... Not against the Sixers. Not for long know, stretches. Maybe, but yeah, if, yeah, yeah, not against Joel Embiid, but if no. Draymond Green's playing center for the Warriors, you yeah. know, you're, you're, or Jordan Bell is playing center for the Warriors, or Looney is playing center for the Warriors, you're fine, you know. And I, I mean, it may be an issue for them against certain teams, as you mentioned. Um, they're only going to see the the Sixers twice. They, you know, yeah. in terms of the postseason, is there a Western Conference team that it would frighten you to have LeBron, you know, play those minutes at the five for the Lakers? Maybe Houston, but yeah, yeah, know. I think so. And then if the Warriors have uh, Cousins, but. You know, I think that could be a matchup advantage for the the Lakers. It would definitely be an advantage disadvantage situation if he were to match up against a, a more traditional center. Yeah, uh, I'm. You know, I I could see a number of different scenarios where 
I could have LeBron or Wagner or one of those other guys, you know, and mix my lineups and not be concerned with it. I think, you know, I think LeBron's more than capable of handling himself. He's shown us that. What What is the, if we're picking one thing that you think could derail this season for the Lakers, outside of the obvious injuries, like we mentioned, it could, could be an, uh, an impact situation for any team. What's the one thing that you look at and say, if they don't have this tightened up, it could derail their season. I think it's just like their backcourt and how it fits with LeBron. I think Mm -hmm. it's like if Lance Stevenson could be a poor, really poor fit. Rondo could be a really poor fit. Uh, Lonzo Ball, not as much. I think we don't talk about his his ability to defend as much and rebound. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, there just could be hardly anybody on this team that really complements LeBron perfectly as as, as much as some of the Cavs did. And Heat players obviously did. Are we omitting the other kind of X factor in there that Luke Walton has to figure out a way to to vibe with all these guys? I mean, they had these young guys last year and had a certain tone about what they were trying to do, and now he's got a completely different cast. I think he'll be fine, given his experience, both as a player and as a coach. He's dealt with an eclectic bunch when he was filling in for Steve Kerr with the Warriors. So it's not like he doesn't have experience managing a a group of guys like this. But are are we almost overlooking how important a role he's going to play in trying to figure out how to sort through this stuff with a LeBron added to the mix with Rondo, very strong personalities in that locker room? Not necessarily. I just question the roster itself more than Mm -hmm. uh, Walton or LeBron's ability to make the most of it. Right. You know, I mean, you can only do so much with – Lance Stevenson and Michael Beasley <laughs> Man, you and JaVale Mickey. You, you know, are. like, it, you know, I, I'm, you know, that's that's basically it. I, I believe in LeBron's ability to get to turn some of these guys uh, or make some of these guys better. And maybe some of them will have a, a really good season or relative good season to previous stops. But I just question their ceiling, you know, with. Yeah, like I said, I, I question the roster construction more than maybe the chemistry mm-hmm. internally or what they can do with what they have. Right. If that makes any sense. No, it does. It does. It makes sense. Let's let's move on in our Pacific Division preview um, to the Sacramento Kings, a 27 and 55 team last year. You know, Vince Carter is gone uh, to Atlanta. Garrett Temple's out of there. You know, the two rotation guys that they lost. Their additions... Obviously, uh, getting Marvin Bagley with the number two pick in the draft, who I think he's got a potential to really be something special down the road if he works at it and, you know, and grinds the way you want a young guy to. They didn't do the huge, splashy pickups otherwise, Shu. Um, Yogi Ferrell, you know, solid. Bielitsa, solid. The Ben McLemore thing was interesting. You know, him going back. Run it back. Yeah, where where it didn't work out before in his career. Deontay Davis, maybe, maybe not. A guy that sticks around there, you don't know. Um, a young... Harry Giles, he's the he's the other one they're adding, not to the roster, but to the... Well, and, and, the and he's a part of that core of young guys, Shoe, that I'm curious. Really, I'm, I'm not expecting much of the Kings, but I do think it bears keeping an eye on their young core group. You know, Bagley, Bogdanovich, De'Aaron Fox, Giles, Buddy Heald. Jackson, you know, all those guys together as a group, is that where the the Kings have to kind of plant their flag for the future is making sure that that young group of guys, you know, you you find a way to develop that young core group in order to turn it around at some point? Yeah, and I I don't necessarily think it's about right now developing them as a group, but Mm -hmm. finding a star within that group. 
you know. Do you like, think? I mean, do you think there's a potential superstar in there? And if so, I mean, which guy? I, I don't know enough about Bagley, really. Honestly, I mean, I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to seeing him play. I don't know enough about him. I think maybe it's not star, but I'm just talking like a guy who is who will eventually be a top 50 player in the league or a top 30 player in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily a superstar. You know, ten time All Star among the group, but yeah. just you you know very useful players on playoff teams you know so who who among the group is there yeah like i think for these last two teams we're going to talk about it's you know best and worst case scenario isn't about wins and losses it's about development and with sacramento it's not just about the the players it's about them modernizing their offense i mean this is a team last year that ranked last in pace and last in the percentage of their shots that came from the restricted area or three-point range, meaning the most efficient shots on the floor. So, And they had the worst free-throw rate. I mean, in, in free-throw rate, I talk about it's basically free-throw attempts over field goal attempts, so amount of times you get to the line per shots from the field. The worst free-throw rate in NBA history. So this is a team <laughs> that not only needs to develop its players, but it needs to develop its system. So that they're running a more modern offense and that now with a more modern offense, you can actually make the most of the talent. You know, I think, I mean, that's something that uh, we saw in Philadelphia where Brett Brown was running a pretty modern offense from the start. Right. Like even when they were terrible, he came in and put a system in place and three or three or four years later, now they have the talent and they can sort of make the most of that talent because they have an efficient running system in place and i think the same you know brooklyn's been trying to do the same thing the last couple of years too but they're a step you know behind the sixers obviously yeah sacramento has got to sort of put a system in place that works for them but you know they've got you know they're taking a lot of shots at it with all these young guys this last year they were the only team that got more than 50 percent of its minutes from first and second year players and so and you know they didn't get any older or you know this year they didn't add any vets they got rid of a couple and and they're only getting younger so i'll be interested to play you know i like i love bogdanovich a big guard who makes good decisions with the ball but i think fox is a key for them because he's the guy that can really cause trouble with how fast he is it's just a matter of him run you know learning to run an nba offense right i'm gonna go out on a limb and suggest that harry giles could be the guy that that emerges from that entire group this year. And, I, you know, we'll see. But just on the little glimpse of him that I've seen healthy, he to, looks like, to me, the kind of modern-day stretch four that has become the rage, you know, in basketball uh, with his versatility and skill set and size. And I know there was a time when, you know, as a young teenager where he was considered the number one guy in his class. The injury certainly impacted that, changed his trajectory. But if he's healthy, he could be back on track to being, you know, one of the one of the better players in his group in terms of age. So I'm going to think Giles even ahead of Bagley, you know, because I think, as you mentioned, we don't we haven't seen enough of Bagley to know for sure what kind of impact he's going to make and what kind of translation his skill set will prove to be at the NBA level. We, we saw a very limited amount of him at Duke where he was playing in it. And I think Duke is a system shoe that sometimes you don't get to see a true measure of a guy because of the talent he's playing with, because of that concentration of talent. So sometimes a guy looks one way like Jason Tatum where I didn't know he was nearly as dynamic as he was after watching him at Duke as he would be in the NBA. So maybe there's more to Bagley's game than we've seen, and there's certainly more to Harry Giles's game than we've been allowed to see at the NBA level. The 
Yeah, I mean, I would add to that just the college game in general. I mean, there's yeah. just less space on the floor. It's a different game. And so you never know what the additional space, the additional pace or whatever can yeah. can do for a guy. And then I would think the other thing is with Bagley, I mean, it's his rookie year. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm with like, let him get his feet wet, figure out what he needs to do. And then you start to really make the judgment the second year after he gets that yeah. year in and he gets that summer of work after his first year. Giles didn't play last year, but he was around an NBA team, and he right. knows you know how to prepare for an NBA game. And so, yeah, I think we should focus more on on him than maybe Bagley uh, this year. Yeah. Last team in the Pacific Dish Division that we're going to take a look at is the Phoenix Suns. They had the number one pick, drafted DeAndre Ayton with that pick, picked up Michael Bridges and Elliot Kobo in the draft, and another guy, George King, who, you know, the guys that are picked in that spot don't always make an impact, don't even always make the roster. The big problem for me with them right now is obviously Devin Booker being injured and, you know, and missing some time potentially with the hand, broken hand. They don't have a point guard, too. They're gonna, I mean, I mean, I, I mean Devin, Devin Booker is going to be, you yeah. know, he'll be all right by December, by right. November or December, I assume. But they're the but, worst team in the West, are they not? I mean, they... Yeah, I mean, they're the worst, yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They're gonna they're gonna um, hold that down for another season, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and like same thing with Sacramento. It's not about wins or losses with this team. It's about um, yeah. a new coach coming in and setting a, a standard and, and and building a system on both ends of the floor. It's about finding a point guard. Obviously, I don't think they should think about Devin Booker being a point guard. I think that's a not a good plan going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the development of their their other young guys. I mean, Aiton obviously get his feet wet, but. I think Josh. It's a big year for Josh Jackson. And we just talked about yeah. him having one year in the league and then a, a summer of work. It's not just about shooting for him. It's also about you know playmaking a little bit. You know they need somebody else to do some things with the ball. I have a couple of stats. Josh Jackson twenty. He shot twenty eight percent on catch and shoot threes, which was two hundred and first out of two hundred and three players who shot a hundred catch and shoot threes. So you're so, saying it, so you're saying it was brutal then. Yes, yeah. and then he also had the third worst uh, assist-to-turnover ratio, uh, 0.82, so more turnovers than assists, among the top 50 guys in usage rate. So, I mean, they gave him, especially at the end of the season, they got, gave him an opportunity to handle the ball and try to make plays. It didn't work out so well. And so I think it's a big year for him yeah. and his development more than anybody else on that roster. Okay. What about a new coach, again, in this situation, Igor Kokoskov? His first season with the Suns. He's been around the league for so long. I cracked up when people were talking about him being an international coach or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> he was with the Pistons when they won a championship. Like, he's been around forever, you know, in the NBA. But people have this notion that all he's ever done is been done, you know, done internationally until up until this point. Do you think a first-year coach in a situation like this can have an impact with this group? I mean, they do have some veterans. Trevor Ariza, Ryan Anderson, Darrell Arthur. They've got some guys who are seasoned vets that you're going to have hope mentor those young guys but also potentially get some work out yeah i mean i think he can you can have a new coach on a young team like that make an impact to a certain degree and it's i think it's just about establishing a culture i'll bring it up again like we saw with brett brown in philadelphia like we've seen in in brooklyn with kenny atkinson those teams even though they were bad you know in those coaches first couple of years played hard and and had a, a culture that you know it wasn't you know you go into that locker room and know it's a it's a fairly positive atmosphere we don't talk enough about how Brett Brown went through those years and kept things amazingly positive with that team yeah. and I think Kenny Atkinson sort of doing the same thing in Brooklyn and so I think if you follow that sort of 
model, you know, I think, yeah, it's important. It's an important year for Kokoskov and Phoenix yeah. and just sort of establishing how these guys are going to play for the next three or four years. Right. If we have one thing, what's the Schumann stat for the Pacific Division, John? All right. This is a this is a tougher. This is one of the uh, tougher ones I've ever asked. But All right. Here there are, there are 219 players last year that scored at least 500 points total. Okay. What player of those 219 got the greatest percentage of his points from fast break points? And I'll sort of break it down like this. This player scored 19.6 points per game. Mm-hmm. 4.7 of those were fast break points. So that's 24%, which was the highest percentage among the 219 guys who scored at least 500 points. So obviously he's a Pacific Division player. We're, yes. in, the, we're in the Pacific Division. Yes. 19.6 per game. And almost five of them came from fast break points. Wow. Uh, so he's a forward who does not shoot very well from the outside. And he's on one of the not so good teams in the Pacific Division. TJ Warren. Correct. Wow. You know why? You know how I knew that, though? Huh. You asked us a question on a previous podcast and TJ Warren's name came up. And I was like... <laughs> And I was like, what? how does TJ Warren... It was TJ a different Warren... question. It was about, what was that? That was about like mid-range yeah. shots or something yes. like that. I think that's, yeah. Yes. And I'm figuring it has to be him. The minute you said he was on a bad team, yeah, I knew, you know, I knew there weren't many guys who scored like that. Uh, yeah. you know. But that's interesting. He's another player, though, John. We got a lot of players. If you think about the Pacific Division itself, there's a lot of talent, but a lot of it is unpolished. Still, you yeah. know, still developing guys. Uh, Warren's a guy who could quickly get lost in the shuffle yeah. in Phoenix, too. Like, yeah. I'm curious about, like, because they, you know, the Ryan Anderson edition takes minutes away from Warren and, you know, Dragon Bender. Right. Know, those are all fours, basically. Yeah. You know, the Ariza edition takes minutes away from Jackson and, and Bridges. So, like, how is this all going to work out? And yet they're still missing a point guard. Like, right. you know, there's, there's definitely a, a trade off that needs to happen with this roster shocking when you think that they yeah. had Bledsoe Dragic I mean they had they they were overrun they with point guards too many point guards yeah it just I wasn't Thomas. Long ago. they had too many point guards yeah. <laughs> and, and now they can't find one crazy the Pacific Division we've got the very best that the league has to offer in the Golden State Warriors and potentially the very worst in the Phoenix Suns going to be a, a very interesting season for all of those teams the Los Angeles Lakers and Clippers and the Sacramento Kings being involved as well. Nobody will be able to keep their eyes off of the Lakers. I mean, it's going to be hard to ignore them when they're you know going through whatever they go through this season. They're first with LeBron James in purple and gold. We'll be back Monday with an Atlantic Division preview here on the Hangtime Podcast. So in the meantime, make sure you uh, read up on Sean Powell's 30 Teams in 30 Days series on NBA.com. It's running throughout the entire month of September. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for episodes all season long. My main man, John Schumann in New Jersey. We'll see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for a new episode every Thursday this season. And as always, say kuna matata. <laughs>